Good morning, Grace Church. Today's sermon is entitled A Wide Open Heart from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak to you as children. Open wide to us also. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. And Father, we pray that your gospel would come this morning, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul wants the Corinthians to live out their faith. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, open wide to us also, he is appealing to the church in Corinth to demonstrate they believe the gospel. Now, that may seem like a long jump to connect Paul's statement, open wide to us also, as an appeal to live out your faith. But I believe that Paul's aim in today's text is exactly that. Paul is appealing to the church in Corinth to open their hearts to him as evidence they believe the gospel message he preached. Or I could say it this way, Paul wants them to work out their faith just as he also has worked out his faith. If the gospel has caused Paul to live out his faith with his heart wide open to the Corinthians, then it only stands to reason that the gospel would cause the Corinthian saints to live out their faith with their hearts open to Paul. Well, in order for us to make the long jump and understand Paul's appeal correctly, we need to look back into last week's sermon text a bit to make the connection. Paul begins chapter 6 with a thought that he introduces in chapter 5, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, is parenthetical, we see in the text that verse 3 the beginning of today's sermon text, 
is directly connected to verse 1, meaning verse 3 is a continuing thought from verse 1. In order for us to understand Paul's thought in verse 3, we must make the connection to today's text. Let's look back at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The way Paul describes our ambassadorship is significant. It is as though God were making an appeal through us to the world to be reconciled to himself. As ambassadors, we are to join God, representing God by appealing to others to be reconciled to God. This reconciliation can only be found in the person and work of Jesus. Jesus must take our sin upon himself and be crucified. Jesus must impute to us his righteousness. That is, he assigns to us a righteousness that is not our own. We are credited with the righteousness of Christ. Based on the righteousness of Christ in us, we are now called into service by Christ, through Christ, for Christ, with Christ. We are called to be ambassadors by Christ at the Great Commission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. And we are called as ambassadors through Christ's death and resurrection. If there's no cross, there's no calling. There's no commissioning. We can only be commissioned through Christ's work of redemption. And we are called to be ambassadors for Christ as ones through whom God makes his appeal to the world to be reconciled to himself. And finally, we're called as ambassadors who work together with Christ in today's text, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, and working together with him. We're called to work together with God. The rest of the verse says, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. As part of our call to be ambassadors, we receive the command to not receive the grace of God in vain. This imperative statement, in short, to not labor in this work of reconciliation with God to the world is to receive the grace of God in vain. Or to state it more abruptly, you will labor to reconcile others to God if you have received the grace of God in your own heart. The great grace of which Paul speaks of here is the grace of God extending to us through Jesus. Having made Jesus sin on our behalf and assigning to us the righteousness of Christ, God's grace is extended to us and received by all who believe in him. It is, it is this idea of not receiving God's grace in vain that we will build the entirety of Paul's appeal in today's text. But before Paul builds his case, he writes this parenthetical phrase that we find in verse 2. It's an interruption to the train of thought, or so it seems. Verse 2 says, For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you, 
Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, Paul, while considering the saving grace of God as he writes the church in Corinth, inserts an impassioned plea for all to receive the grace of God, exclaiming, today is the day of salvation. Today is a time of grace. Today is a time of salvation. Believe and be saved without delay. This parenthetical statement found in verse 2 is a heartfelt plea on Paul's behalf for others to be saved. And I would be remiss if I didn't make the same appeal to those listening. If any students are listening with their parents this morning, whether you're a teenager or an elementary student, I join your parents in prayer and word by making the same appeal to you today. Do not delay in trusting Jesus to save you. We are to not only receive this grace, but we ought therefore share it with others. We ought to offer this saving grace that Paul talks about in verses 1 and 2 with other peoples. Paul's worshipful plea that we find in this parenthetical statement is a clear example of what it means to make an appeal to be reconciled to God as an ambassador for Christ. You want to know what an ambassador for Christ looks like? It looks like Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, making an appeal for others to be saved. The parenthetical statement in 2 Corinthians 6, 2 may temporarily pause, it may temporarily pause Paul's line of thought. But it does not distract from his written aim to call the church to action. Paul continues his thought by giving explanation to the command to not receive the grace of God in vain. Well, that leads us to our first point in today's sermon. The first thing that we want to see this morning is the product of God's grace. If we are to briefly remove Paul's parenthetical statement, his worshipful appeal to be saved, then we could more easily see his connecting command, which is to not receive the grace of God in vain. That imperative statement with two two participles that follow. So we'll remove temporarily this parenthetical statement so that we can easier follow Paul's train of thought. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now pick up with me in verse 3. Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything committing ourselves as servants of God in much endurance. First, I want you to see the structure in the text. There are two participles listed that explain how we do not receive God's grace in vain. If we're to obey the imperative, the command, to not receive the grace of God in vain, then we have to understand these participles that follow, that we would give no cause for offense, and that we would commend ourselves as servants of God. A true ambassador is one who is making an appeal to the world to be reconciled to God by giving no cause for offense 
to others and commending oneself to others as a servant of God. The imperative is stated negatively in the verse. It says, we are urged not to receive the grace of God in vain. The opposite of something being done in vain would be something being done with a positive or good result. So to say it positively, the command would read, receive the grace of God, which produces a positive result. Or we could say that receiving the grace of God will produce in us a result. In particular, what is the product of receiving God's grace in this text? Well, this is where I believe Paul is building his case to live out our faith as he describes for us what that looks like. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 says, Giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. When someone has truly received the saving grace of God, then we will be an ambassador that strives to give no cause for offense, or as the ESV renders it, to put no obstacle in the way. Paul certainly exemplifies this reality and is humbly calling the church in Corinth to the same. We are to wisely consider all of our actions and to test if those actions will be a cause for offense to any who might hear the gospel. We do not want our conduct to bring confusion to the message that we preach or to bring a misunderstanding to the power of the gospel. We do not want the ministry that we have as ambassadors to be discredited because of our actions. Again, to say what Scripture says positively, we want our character and actions to give credit to our message. We want our life to line up with the gospel that we preach. There is an extent to which this command is expected to be carried out. Paul writes specifically in the text. It's, he chooses his words intentionally. According to verse 3, it says, giving no cause for offense in anything, in any and everything we do, our actions should be compatible with the gospel. Listen to what Paul communica- communicates to the church in Philippi about their conduct and its relationship to the gospel. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What kind of conduct is worthy of the gospel? Well, Paul goes on to describe the outcome of such conduct in the first chapter of Philippians, expressing that it will create a standing, firm kind of courage and that it would create a a one-spirit unity among the saints in Philippi, and that it would bring about an endurance in the face of opponents and suffering. That's what conduct worthy of the gospel creates. The product of God's grace in our lives is that we live in such a way that our character and actions give evidence that the gospel we preach is true because its effects on us confirm its power. Well, the second participle phrase that I want you to see that helps us 
to understand the product of God's grace is this, that we would commend ourselves as servants of God. Paul echoes the sentiment that he just made in verse 3 by stating the same idea positively or proactively. He says in verse 4, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance. We aren't to just avoid being offensive, but we are to proactively be commending ourselves as servants of God. This commendation that Paul makes is not one of boasting or even self-defense, but rather he states plainly how his life is being spent and laid bare for the sake of the gospel for all to observe. And there's three important notes to see in verse 4 that will aid our understanding of what Paul intends by commending ourselves as servants of God. The first is we are commending ourselves as servants. As servants, meaning we do our master's bidding. We're not our own. We submit to the will of God. Well, the second thing that I want us to see in verse 4 is that we are God's servants in everything we do. He says, in everything, commending ourselves. We don't work for the Lord like a job from 9 to 5. We don't walk away and set it aside. He has full say always. This is our life, a life of servitude. And then the last phrase in verse 4 that I want you to see is in much endurance, in much endurance. This is a supernatural endurance. This is not an endurance that we obtain on our own. This is not willpower. This is not uh, by your bootstraps, get it done kind of endurance. This is endurance imparted by God to his servants. And Jesus gives us a peek at this kind of commendation as a servant to God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This commendation is one of emptying self. This commendation is one of humility. This commendation is one of selfless service and obedience, even to the point of death. The product of God's grace in our lives is that we live in such a way that we serve our God with Jesus-like endurance imparted to us by the Holy Spirit with humility for the sake of the gospel. The product of God's grace is that we do not become an obstacle to others believing the gospel and we serve God to that end with humility and endurance. Well, I don't just want you to see this morning the product of God's grace, but I want you to see the endurance of God's servants. Now, before we press on in the text, I want to add some clarifying remarks regarding verse 4. You will be helped to look at the text now as we pay attention to 
the words and even the punctuation of the text. The English translations are divided on the punctuation of a list of virtues found in verses 4 through 10. And therefore, by way of punctuation, the meaning of the verse can change. It hinges on the punctuation. The New King James Version has a comma before and a comma after the phrase, in much patience, which means that patience is one of the virtues on a long list of virtues. The ESV has a colon before and a comma after the phrase, by great endurance. Again, meaning it's just one of the virtues on a list of virtues. The NIV has a colon before and a semicolon after the words, by great endurance, meaning it stands separate from the rest of the list. And the New American Standard does a comma before and comma after, like the King James Version. The words, in much endurance, meaning that it is one of the virtues on a list of virtues. And I was most helped by Scott Haifman in his commentary on the subject. This is what he says. There are three reasons why the punctuation chosen by the NIV, which separates out endurance from the rest of the list, is to be preferred. Number one, Paul modifies endurance with the word great in contrast to the unqualified designations that follow. Number two, endurance is singular. It's a singular abstract virtue, while what follows is a list of plural adversities. And number three, it is difficult to see how hardships in and of themselves could commend Paul if they are not related to the positive virtue of endurance. Well, with that understanding, we want to press forward with Paul's exposition. Paul expounds on the endurance of God's servants in the following verses. So, we're attaching the phrase, in much endurance, to the previous verse, or half of the verse. So, we read it like this. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance. End of thought. And then the list begins. In afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger. As we read that list of difficulties, much of what Paul has endured as a servant of God was brought upon him from evil opponents. But I want you to see the last three that kind of separate themselves from the other list of difficulties, the other list of sufferings. It appears that those were chosen by Paul voluntarily for the sake of commending himself to those who sought those he sought to reconcile to God. His labors were voluntary. His sleeplessness, perhaps to complete his mission for the day or perhaps uh, spending the night in prayer on behalf of those that he ministered to and in hunger, all voluntary. Well, I want us to see that Paul's 
endurance, the endurance of God's servants. Paul doesn't stand alone as a servant of God, but is our example in this text. The endurance of God's servants means that we endure in the midst of suffering. But that's not where the list ends. The list continues in verse 6. We not only endure in suffering, but we also endure by the grace of God, by the graces of God. And this next list, this next group that we find in verse 6 and 7a are graces from God in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. Each represent a grace of God to the Apostle Paul. Paul wasn't pure in and of himself. He did not possess knowledge apart from Christ. He didn't have the kind of patience to endure what he endured. Yet, God bestows on him all these attributes in order that he might endure as a servant of God. The second group we see Paul's list of God-given qualities bestowed upon Paul in the midst of difficulties. If the sufferings of Paul were used as a tool against him to show his weaknesses in ministry, then the second group of qualities that we just read in 6 and 7 that were bestowed upon him reveal the power of God in the midst of such difficulties. The gift of the Holy Spirit and his presence in Paul's life would be an undeniable reality of God's hand on Paul's ministry, not to mention his selfless love toward his brothers, which certainly stands out in today's text. Those brothers for whom he was willing to perish that they might savingly know God, the way he describes in Romans 9. Well, I want you to see that the endurance of God's servants doesn't just happen in the midst of suffering and by God-given graces, but also in any and every circumstance. He says in verse 7, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. In verse 8, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report. Paul was using military language in this section to communicate that the servant of God endures because he is thoroughly equipped with the weapons of righteousness. Regardless of the circumstance, Paul was prepared for the task at hand because his God had equipped him. This is a supernatural equipping. These are not the weapons of this world. So in any circumstance that Paul faced, and he talks about this in Philippians chapter 4, in any and every circumstance, right? Paul knew how to survive. He knew how to depend on God. His hope was in Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? That wasn't Paul's ability. That was his hope in Christ. And so the servant of God endures in any and every circumstance. Well, the last group that I want us to draw attention to is found in verses 8 through 10, and it's despite appearances. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. Regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, 
as having nothing yet possessing all things. In this final group of traits listed by Paul to describe how the servant of God divinely endures his line of service, he lists several contrasting statements. This list contains an earthly appearance and a divine reality. Saints, listen and be greatly encouraged, not by Paul's endurance that we find here, though he certainly endures and this is evidence of that, but be encouraged by God's faithfulness in the midst of all of these difficulties that Paul faced as regarded as deceivers and yet true. See, Paul was regarded as a a deceiver and yet God faithfully proved that Paul was speaking truth, that he was true as unknown yet well-known. Well, Paul didn't have, as we know, um, impeccable uh, speech. He mentions trembling in these moments, yet it says he was well-known. He was well-known by his God. As dying, yet behold, we live. Many times Paul was on the brink of death, yet he survived. But I believe he's speaking here of his body dying day by day, yet he has eternal life. As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. What a picture of God's faithfulness to his servants. We have truth. We are known by God. We have eternal life. We are lovingly approved without being put to death. We see that in the book of Exodus uh, as we study. The joy of God is in us. We have the treasure of Christ, wealth beyond our imagination, and we possess every spiritual blessing. Paul endured as a servant because God divinely intervenes. And dear saint, he intervenes on our behalf too as we serve. Well, the last thing that I want us to see this morning is the heart of God's ambassador. The heart of God's ambassador. We've seen the product of God's grace, that we would give no offense or no cause for offense, that we would commend ourselves as servants of God. And we've seen the the endurance of God's servants in suffering by God-given graces in any circumstance, despite appearances because of divine intervention. But now I want us to see the heart of God's ambassador, the heart of God's ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is opened wide. Paul has mimicked his Christ, and he has not ceased from pointing the Corinthians to Jesus. His speech, his mouth has spoken freely, and his life, his heart, is open wide. Paul has served the Corinthians without restraint. Paul didn't just feel love for these saints, but he had adequately communicated that love. He had adequately demonstrated that love to these saints. We cannot pretend to love something when we don't actually love it. We can't pretend love. We can't manufacture love if it doesn't really exist. And we cannot remain silent 
when we do love something, if true love exists for something, it can't be contained. It can't be restrained. Paul's heart was laid bare for all to investigate. And his love was evident. Paul says, says elsewhere in his letter to the church in Philippi, I love the, this phrase in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, for God is my witness. Think about that, right? It, has there ever been a more faithful witness than God? He says, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, I love you the way Jesus loves you. Well, that's a loaded statement. And that's a bold remark for the apostle Paul to make to the church in Philippi. But he couldn't make it if it weren't true. God would testify against him per his own request if that weren't true. Paul genuinely loved these saints with the love of God. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, as he's pressing upon the Corinthians to love him with the same love that he's shown to them. He says, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Paul was not the hindrance in the Corinthians' lack of affections toward him. They could, they, they could lay no blame at Paul's feet. He had neither wronged them nor withheld his own affection from them. They had no excuse not to reciprocate Paul's love and commitment. Paul was not trying to win the favor of the church or to be the most well-liked pastor. He was appealing to them to repent of their lack of love demonstrated to him and his legitimate God-given ministry because he knew that rejecting him and his love was to reject his gospel message, which was to reject his God. Therefore, Paul's impassioned plea to the saints in Corinth to love him the way that he loved them was actually a call to repent, to love him the way that he loved them. They had been fickle in their love for Paul. They had been easily persuaded by the peddlers refer referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. Yet Paul loved them anyway. And he loved them without restraint. Well, how do we take how do we take these twelve verses and apply? How do we take these twelve verses and apply according to the text? Well, there's so much there, and there's so much more application than we could possibly speak today. But I want us to see the last verse because I think Paul um, climactically uh, ends his thought here in verse 13. And I said at the beginning of the sermon today, Paul wants the Corinthians to live out their faith. He wants them to live out their faith. And he's making that appeal to them throughout this text today. And it's that appeal that he concludes in verse 13. He says, Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Now I want you to hear Paul's tone as he makes his appeal to the Corinthians. He said in verse 11, O Corinthians, O Corinthians, 
Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. He calls them by name. O Corinthians, my heart is open wide to you. And then he says in verse 13, I speak as to children, as a spiritual father, as a father would speak to his children, a loving father would speak lovingly to his children. He says, open wide to us also. Is this not how Christ has loved us? Despite our fickle hearts, Jesus opened wide his heart by becoming sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And though we place many obstacles in his path of salvation, and we gave him many causes to be offended by our great sin, Jesus never wavered in his service to the Father by obediently becoming death, even death on a cross. Jesus did not restrain himself, dear saints, though we held back from him. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know what the motivation for Paul was? It was Jesus. It was Jesus' wide open heart to Paul that caused him to live with a wide open heart to the saints around him. And it's exactly why he made the same appeal to the church in Corinth to open their hearts to him. Because an open heart to Paul was an open heart to God. And God uses open hearts as his ambassadors. So what's our application? Well, here it is, five simple points. Preach the gospel. Reconcile others to God. Remove all obstacles of the gospel from your life so that your life is not a hindrance to another man's faith. Serve God selflessly. Listen to this. Love one another. Love one another. Remove all restraints from loving others. Oh, Grace Church, that we would obey here. Remove all restraints from loving others, especially in the life of the church, and reciprocate others' love to you. When somebody extends Christ's love to you, then reciprocate that love. And the fifth one you see right in the text, open your hearts wide. Live out your faith for all to see. Grace Church, I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. So let's lock lock arms and live out our faith together as co-ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you because you have opened your heart to us by sending your son Jesus to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You have opened your heart wide to us by calling us to be ambassadors for Christ. Father, you have opened your heart wide to us by giving us your word to instruct us. Father, you've opened your heart wide to us by calling us to this body of believers at Grace Church here in Memphis so that we might be sanctified by you. Father, I pray that we would see your heart open. We would see the open heart of Jesus Christ, the open heart of Paul. And Father, we would be encouraged to open our hearts for the love of others and for the sake of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.